Now I can say good morning, everyone. That quote that was up there was from J. Gresham Machen. I just noticed it. I know another quote of his. He was a writer and a theologian thinker from the early 20th century um, and wrote a great book called Christianity and Liberalism. If you want to read old authors or older authors, it's a great book to read. It makes sense of his time and our time. But it's interesting about different times because another quote of Machen's, which is one of my favorite, is he said, paraphrasing slightly, um, there is no greater pleasure than sitting in a room with the Oxford students, smoking and eating oranges. <laughs> when I think about what a great benefit to Christian fellowship tobacco is, I am glad, I can't remember how he finished it. But, it, but it's interesting, sort of contextually, it's like we wouldn't think that tobacco would be a great aid to Christian fellowship. Well, maybe some of us would. But when you read the old authors, you have to read them in the context of how they're in the age that they're in. Anyway, sorry, I don't know why that came to my mind. I just saw that Machen quote, and I'm like, yeah, he's got some other quotes too that you probably wouldn't see in church. Um, but... And that's what we're doing here. Let me try and segue to James 5, 19 to 20. We have to read James in context. And this is our final message on James. And um, he has been writing to the very early church. And we've been going through it. This is our 12th week. And uh, we're on our final message. And um, he's been writing to the very early church in order to examine the church. And that's why we've called it Faith Renovation. Because James is like a building inspector, and he's been digging around the foundation, and he's been tapping on the posts and figuring out where the cracks are and where the dry rot might be in the church. And he's been talking about the church as a whole, and he's been saying, some of you are gossiping, and some of you are showing partiality, and some of you are putting your hope in the wealth of the world, and you know, where is your faith? And are you testing, if you are a true church and you are Christians who have true faith, why are you behaving this way? Well, as we come to the last, literally the last sentence of his letter, James kind of concludes with the implication of what he's observed in the church. Not all of you have living faith. Some of your faith is dead. And that means some of you are going to wander away. What, what do we make of people in the church and in our own families that just walk away from Christianity, that just walk away from the faith? People who for a season of time seemed enthusiastic, invested, committed to their faith in Jesus, and then they're just gone. You look up one day and you haven't seen them for months. And then you look them up or you find out that they've basically bailed out on trusting the Bible. They don't have any affection for the people or activities of God anymore. They have no personal love for Jesus that's evident. They just don't seem to care anymore about their sin or their salvation. They've abandoned the truth of Scripture, and they've turned away from following Jesus. And sadly, I imagine that almost everyone here has a few names that come to mind when I describe someone that way, people in your own family, co-workers, people that were your good friends here at Lakeside, maybe you even led them to Christ, maybe you even saw them baptized, and then they've just drifted off, captured by the world, 
and even willfully rejecting the faith. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do with that when we see it? And James, all through this letter, has been saying there is a Christian response to everything. There's a Christian response to how people use our tongues. There's a Christian response to the wealth of the world. There's a Christian response to how we pray for sick people we talked about last week. And he says there's a Christian response. There's a church response to these people, too. And we get a profound concluding statement about these people that walk away from the faith. The Apostle Paul took faith without works is dead, and he phrased it this way in 2 Timothy 3.5. You have the appearance of godliness, but are lacking its power. You see, both James and Paul saw the same thing. There are people who have faith, but faith without works is dead. Paul says you have the appearance of godliness, but you lack its power. So are you really saved if you do not have the works, if you do not have the power that comes with gospel transformation? Very simply, there are people that can have an appearance of faith, but it's a disguise. It's a counterfeit. And it's a deadly serious issue, as James will make clear in the last sentence of the letter. Those who wander from the truth of the scripture and from the righteousness of Jesus will inevitably die, eternally die, in the midst of a multitude of sins. But, James also says that it need not be that way for every wanderer. Not every wanderer must remain lost. If the church is working as intended, it's possible and it's expected that faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, as the instrument of God's grace, can reach the wandering and rescue them and apply the remedy that they might still be saved. And that's what we want, isn't it? When we think about these people in our mind, people from Lakeside, people in our family, co-workers, friends that have wandered away from the faith, what we want is what James says is possible here. The ending we hope for is that the one who has wandered returns and their soul is saved from death. Well, that's what we're going to unpack this morning, not just in James, but throughout the scriptures, as we consider what is our response as Christians, as the church, as brothers and sisters, to those that appear to have wandered Let's pray, and then we'll read the text and unpack it. It's just two verses. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James. It's been an incredible, practical series of weeks in this letter where you have taught us what our faith should look like, how to test our faith, and how we respond in faith uh, as we are gathered together as the body of believers. And now James says, some of the body is going to leave. And what does the remaining do when we see some of the body depart? We pray for your blessing and your understanding as we uh, look to what your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So here's the text, James 5, 19 to 20. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And wouldn't you like to be the one who does that on behalf of a sinner? Wouldn't this be our greatest joy, or shouldn't it be? What does he mean by wandering? Let's first sort of figure this out. When James says somebody is wandering, who's he talking about? What does it mean to wander? He says, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth. Now, James uses the word wander here, plano in the Greek, And I just want to look at two short verses from Jesus and Paul where the same word is used but translated differently. First of all, in Matthew, Jesus answers the Pharisees, actually the Sadducees, 
And he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Well, wanders, wrong, and deceived are the same Greek word. Okay, translated properly into English with the context of how they are being used. It's all the same Greek word, plano. It means wander or go off course. And so as James uses it here, you know, as wandering, it also means wrong and deceived. Because that's how the Greek language used it. You're wandering. You're off course. You know, Jesus is saying you have wandered off course because you don't know either Scripture or God. Or Paul is saying, don't go astray. Don't wander off course by thinking the unrighteous are going to receive the kingdom of God. Because they won't. It's the same word. To wander means to error, to go wrong, to be deceived. You're wandering. We actually grab the word plano in Latin and then in English for the word planet. Because planets, at first, appear as stars in the sky. But then everybody noticed that these stars wander across the background. They, they look like a point of light. They look like they should be a star. But as you watch them, they, they drift around in the sky against all the other stars. So they're wandering stars. And at first glance, you'd be deceived to think they're a star unless you pay attention for a little while. And if you pay attention long enough, you realize that the planet isn't like the other stars. It's drifting. And so it's something different. And so it's really a perfect word that James has chosen. And I, and I painted that picture of the planet because you should fix that in your mind when you think of this verse. The, the people that James is talking about is people that look like a star at first, but if you wait and you watch night by night, they will wander and they will drift. And that's how they're identified as not being true stars. So how do we identify them as wanders? What is it that you have to wander from in order to be in the danger that James describes? Well, he says they wander from the truth. In the Old and New Testament, the truth is always associated with the word of God and the way of life that results from embracing it. In Matthew, Jesus or the disciples respond to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully. It's the truth of the scripture, it's the truth about God, and it's the way of life that follows from that teaching. John describes, says it most clearly this way, actually Jesus in John says it this way, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is how James understands the word truth. When he says you've wandered from the truth, he's talking about people that are, on one hand, denying the word of God doctrinally or scripturally, and they're also denying the way of God in their lifestyle. If we were to go back to James 1.18, we see that he tells us that God brought us into being by the word of truth. The truth is the word of God, his promises, his doctrines. It's the good news of salvation through Jesus. It's the knowledge of God as set against the deception of the world. So it's, it's doctrinal truth. And so someone can wander doctrinally away from the faith. But it's also the life that results from knowing that truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're my real disciples. So the wandering is also not continuing, not staying faithful to the word of God. It's the life or the way that comes from the word of God. So a true disciple of Jesus is not going to wander from the word of God. They're not going to, you know, embrace 
crazy, heretical teaching. They're never going to reject the person of Christ. Jesus Christ is at the center of history, the center of the Bible, the center of God's plan of redemption, the center of our salvation. They're never going to turn away from the truth of who Jesus is. They're never going to turn their back on the gospel, that their hope is fully in Jesus Christ alone. And a real disciple is also not going to remain enmeshed in unrepentant sin. The path of their life will always be a turning and a returning to the way of following Jesus. It doesn't mean that a believer will never sin, but they won't want to remain there. We see James stresses this aspect of wandering the second time he uses it in this sentence. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, his wandering, a little different phrase here in your Bibles. It might be translated differently even. I think the NIV says the error of his ways. So you see there's Plano again now used as error, the error of the way of his life. The Greek is actually kind of an interesting phrase, autos, plano, hodos. It means the self-wandering road or the wandering his own path. And so James says you can wander from the truth of Scripture and you can go wandering down your own way of life. And they need to be brought back. James has in mind someone who's turning away from both biblical doctrine and biblical lifestyle. So this is very practical. If you see someone who drifts away from the gospel message or substitutes the gospel with some other strange version of it, about who Jesus is or how he saves us other than by the cross, other than being the Son of God, other than being the Lamb of God, or if they deny the truth entirely and go off into a lifestyle that rejects the principles of God's word, then James says this is a wanderer, and this happens in the church, as we talked about at the beginning. There's people in my family. There's people in your family. There's people who are friends of yours, people that you might have remembered singing as joyfully as we sang at the beginning of this service maybe a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, and they're not here anymore, and they're not at any church. Maybe they're at the church of Little League Hockey or something, or maybe they're at the you know, church of golf, but they're not worshiping here in church. They've drifted, and they're gone, and there's little evidence that they're going to come back. And James says, yeah, that happens. People wander from the faith. People wander in their lifestyle. And James says, very sadly, is that the reality is is that that initial enthusiasm was probably a counterfeit faith. It was never real. Because a true disciple would never turn away from the Jesus that has saved him and cherishes him. A true disciple may sin, but would never give up that they are saved by the gospel. And so these are the people that burden James's heart. They burden our own hearts. Just as throughout this letter, James has expressed a profound concern for the church as a whole, as a whole body together, he's been saying over and over and over again, church, I want you to be healthy. Church, I want you to be healthy. Church, I want you to be healthy. Now in the very final sentence, he says, some of you aren't going to be healthy, and some of you aren't even going to stay in the church. You're not even listening to this letter because you're not here to hear it read. So he's not talking to the wanderer in this verse. 
We, we, and I did, I mean, we're talking about the wanderer, but we read this verse and we get immediately concerned about the wanderer and what does that mean? And we should be concerned about the wanderer, but what we want to realize here is that James isn't actually talking to the wanderer. He's talking to the Christians that remain. What are we supposed to do? So this is a letter to us who are still here. But he wants us to understand why this is important. He's very concerned about these wanderers because their situation is deadly serious. There is a danger to the lost. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. It doesn't get any more serious than that. There's no more important mission than going after these wanderers. Because James says if they have abandoned the scriptures and they've abandoned the truth of God and it is evident that they have abandoned the body of Christ and they've abandoned the gospel and they are living a life completely to their own will, then they are at risk of eternal death. Their soul will die. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawless ones. Not, oh yeah, I used to know you, or you used to know me. Jesus says, I never knew you. You taught Sunday school, you sang, you were on the praise team, you, you know, wrote small groups, led small groups, did whatever, you visited people in the hospital, you were enthusiastic, you did stuff in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says, I never knew you. It's real serious what Jesus is talking about. It's real serious what James is talking about here. These are people who claim to have once known Jesus, to have served in his kingdom, and yet Jesus never knew them. And they'll be sent from his presence into an eternal death. Jesus wrote more, spoke more, Disciples wrote afterwards, but Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else. And James calls these wanderers sinner. Whoever brings a sinner from his wandering. And you have to understand, in in Bible terms, the adjective sinner is only ever used of an unbeliever. Someone who's not accepted the gospel in person of Jesus. Jesus uses it only to describe those that are outside of the kingdom of God in Matthew 9 and Luke 7. And Paul says... God commended his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. To be a sinner in New Covenant terms means to be the one who is separate from God and needing his saving grace. Now, we don't commonly use the word sinner that way because we use it the way if you swim, you're a swimmer, right? If you uh, bat, you're a batter. If you catch, you're a catcher. So if you sin, you're a sinner. So sometimes we'll say, we're sinners, I'm a sinner because I sin. But the New Testament never uses it that way. The adjective sinner is only ever used of someone who is unregenerate, never received the gospel of Jesus Christ. The New Testament recognizes that saints will sin, but will never call a saint a sinner. And James says these are sinners. James is not talking about a believer who's struggling with sin. And as we look around the church and as we look into our own eyes and our own lives, we will see true disciples of Jesus who possess a living and saving faith struggle with sin. James isn't talking about those people here. 
This is why we have to understand who the wanderer is. We will see brothers and sisters in Christ who may wallow around in sin for a little while, but they will never reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll never reject the truth of who God is. They will agree with God that they are sinners. They will agree that they need to repent. They may not repent right that day, but they will know that they are sinning and they will seek repentance. James isn't talking about those people. True disciples of Jesus will never harden their hearts in unrepentance and reject the truth of God or the person of Jesus. There's other parts of the Bible. There's other verses that deal with a sinning saint. But that's not what James is talking about here. He says, when you see these people, what you need to think is their faith was always counterfeit. It was deceptive. They may have even been deceiving themselves. As Paul tells us, don't be deceived, but test yourselves. Or do you not know that Christ is in you? So James, you remember, is writing to the... So, so, so why do these people wander then? What, what is going on? How do we know that they were never really saved? Well, James, you remember, is writing at the beginning, the very early stages of the infant church, just about a decade after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven. But let's just look for a moment at the other end of the early church history in the disciple John writing. In 1 John, he's writing very near the end of his life and at the other end of the early church history. He's writing almost 60 years after James. And he's been observing all the same things that James was seeing in the church as early as days. John, 50 to 60 years later, has seen what James has seen, that the church is there and it's had its struggles and its ups and its downs, but people have left the church. He's seen this happen. There have been both faithful and unfaithful people coming and going in the church, just as Jesus predicted in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a field and it is sown. But the enemy has sown tares or weeds that look like grass that isn't wheat in amongst it. And the disciples said, should we go and should we like rip all those things out? He says, no, just leave them. Let them grow. It all grows up together. We'll sort it out at the end. Right? And this is what John, James sees. This is what John sees, that in the body of Christ, there's the true wheat, there's the true harvest, and there's the false harvest. And John has seen this. But sometimes that false harvest leaves, and they identify themselves. And John says... Again, about 50 years later, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, when these wanderers go, it's because they were never really a part of the body of Christ. That's who James is talking about. The wandering that happens away from the church and away from the gospel and away from the love of Jesus happens because the wanderers were never authentically part of the church, no matter how many communions they took, no matter how many Sunday school classes they taught, or even if they were baptized, they go out from us because they were not of us. And notice John tells us that the wandering serves a purpose to make it plain that they were not of us. In other words, there's a sense in which we can thank God for the mercy of obvious wandering because now we can do something about it. (laughs) When the tares stay in the wheat, it's hard to tell. You know, they sing pretty good. They teach pretty good. They pray pretty good. I don't know their heart. But John says when they wander, it tells us something. And James tells the church what to do. 
James says, this is how you now respond to these wanderers. You see a person wander, you see that they're not repenting and coming back to the point that it rightfully causes you to question the authenticity of their faith. Then here's what you do, church. You go after them. You go after the lost. And you should not apologize for that. I mean, we're very polite Canadians, right? And we know how offensive it would be to say to somebody, you know what, I don't even know that you're actually a Christian. And if somebody's been in the church a long time and they really think that they're a Christian, wow. That'll start the conversation going. But if somebody has wandered from the faith and they've left the body of believers and they have no real love for the church or love for God or love for his words and they are living however they want to live and they say, oh yeah, you know, I prayed a prayer and I got baptized at youth group. I'm fine. Do not apologize for saying, I don't think you're fine. You don't have any evidence that you're fine. In fact, you have all the evidence that Paul and Jesus and John and James say that you are in danger of eternal death. And it will be an eternal death in the midst of a multitude of sins. Because that's usually what these people are doing out there, right? They're, They're not out there working at the soup kitchen. They're out there sinning. That's why they're away from the church and away from God. So do not apologize when you have observed over time. Remember the planet you've observed now for a while and the star that you thought was a star is wandering over time and you're like, I'm not so sure that's a star anymore. I think that's something else. And all I want to say there is don't apologize for that. At least don't apologize for thinking it. You need to think in your heart that you need to reach this person. Just assume they need to be reached again with the good news and the hope and the gospel and the joy of Jesus Christ. Because even if they are still saved, and that's between them and God, honestly, but even if they are still saved, clearly they need to recapture their hope and their joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to fall in love with who Jesus is again and put their hope in the solid truth of Scripture again. So it may not be your first conversation with them, but it might be your third or fourth conversation with them to say, hey, I'm not sure where you're at. And the least loving thing I could do for you is agree that you're a believer and your soul is safe when in fact you are going to eternal separation from God. I mean, you couldn't do anything more cruel than to help somebody delude themselves into believing they're saved when they're not. So James tells the church what to do. You go after them. If you love them, you don't pretend their soul is secure when it may not be at all. James says this is the business of saving souls from death. The stakes are not low. They're as high as they can possibly be. John says that their wandering has helped to clarify that they were never truly part of the body. And James tells us what we're to do about that. Go after them. Go rescue them. Turn them back. Save their soul. Let their sins be covered by the work of Jesus on the cross. He says he will cover over a multitude of sins. doesn't mean that they didn't sin. It means those sins can be covered by the work of Christ. And that's what we want for them, what we've received. That blessed forgiveness. You see, God has an answer for their sin, and we're called as the church to participate in that answer. So James says, go rescue that wanderer. So I don't know who you've been thinking about all this time I've been talking. 
There's someone in your family. There's someone you know from this church. There's some coworker. There's some friend who has wandered, and maybe you've tried to go after them a couple of years ago, and there's a point at which, you know, you can go after and go after and go after, and then you just, you know, even Jesus says there's a point when you don't keep throwing pearls before swine. But maybe you haven't talked to them for a while. And who knows, maybe the situation's changed. James says you should go after that wanderer. And that's his appeal to the church. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, this verse is not actually about the wanderer. You may want to take this verse and put it under the nose of a wanderer that you know and say, hey, you should read this. But James actually isn't writing to the wanderer here, you notice. He's writing to us. Whoever brings him back is who he's writing to. One of the many purposes of the church is to specifically go after and attempt to rescue those who were once close at hand and who now have strayed off. In chapter 4, 7 to 10, James first appealed directly to the unsaved. It's not like James didn't appeal to those in the church who might still be within the sound of his voice or within the sound of his writing. He appealed to those that were in the church that might not truly be saved. He said, your faith without works may be dead. And in 7 to 10 of chapter 4, he, he, he appeals to them directly. He says to them, draw near to God. The first appeal was to the sinner. But in conclusion now in chapter 5, he's like, okay, those guys are gone. They're not going to hear my appeal. So now I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to the brothers and sisters who are in the church to evangelize the people they thought were saved. To use the disciple Peter's experience in John 21, you remember he was fishing after Jesus had died and he'd gone back to fishing and he hadn't caught a single fish. And this guy walks up on the beach and he asks him, he says, has he caught anything? And Peter's like, no, I haven't caught anything all night. There's no fish out here. And Jesus says, well, just take your net from that side of the boat and put it over there. There's all kinds of fish. Catch those fish on that side of the boat, right? And that's kind of like what is, James is saying here, right? The fish are right there. They were maybe attending here like a year ago. They're right there in your family. They're right there at work. They're, they know Lakeside. They've been here. They are fish that are real close to the boat. Just drop your net there and catch them. They're almost in the boat. We can't just fish for those that are far off. We need to cast our net to see who is close and witness to those that are close. Notice that James here does not say, call the deacons or call the preachers or call the apostles or call the evangelists or call the elders to bring the wanderer back. James says, if someone and whoever brings them back. It's interesting. In the Greek, someone and whoever means someone and whoever. It means the same thing in English. It means anyone. This is not my job. This is not the elder's job. This is not like, oh, I know some evangelists in the church. You know, they love going out and telling people about Jesus. I'll get an evangelist to go get them. No, James says, whoever brings them back. This is everybody's job. If you're still in the church, this is the job of the whole church as it represents the body of Christ doing the ministry of Jesus, because this is what Jesus would do. Paul frames it this way. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is like exactly what James would want any of us to go and say to these wanderers and to understand. We have the ministry of reconciliation. It is our job. God has entrusted it to us, and we are ambassadors for Christ. And so this is not some special job. This is the job of every Christian to go after the wanderers and to rescue them with this message of reconciliation. We are his agents. All believers have been given this ministry. All believers are to reach and rescue the wandering by turning them back to the truth. Verse 19 says, If any among you wanders and someone brings him back. Now in your translation, it may be more accurately rendered, turns him back. Epistrepho, to turn him around, to turn him around from unrighteousness towards God. I'll just tell you two other places where that's used. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Same word. Unless you turn. Epistrepho. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says to the Thessalonians, We remember how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Wandering is the picture of being lost. Turning is the picture of repentance and salvation. In Luke 15, you remember how Jesus tells a series of stories. He tells the story of the lady who lost the coin and then celebrated when she found it. Then he tells the story of a man who had a hundred sheep and he lost just one, but he left the 91 99 to find the one and when he found it he rejoiced and celebrated and then he tells the parable of the father whose youngest son rejected him and ran into the world but how the father rejoiced and celebrated when that lost son was found when he turned and returned to the father The common thread of all those stories and the point of them all is the joy of God in salvation. Having entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation, God is pleased and joyful in the reconciliation of sinners to himself. The sheep was found and everybody rejoiced. The coin was found and everybody rejoiced. The son was found and everybody rejoiced. So if you want to bring joy to the heart of God... This is how you bring joy to the heart of God. Seek and save the lost. Go after the wandering and rescue them. It should be our highest joy because it's God's highest joy. Now maybe you're here today and you're listening online or or you've come across this recording and it resonates with you as a wanderer. Maybe you had your season in the church when you were young or maybe just younger But as you've had your season in the church and you've enjoyed the singing and you've listened to the teaching, you just haven't seemed to have what everybody else has had. And you've wandered away from it. Or you've never really grasped it. Some part of who God is and what he demanded of you, you are just not willing to give up yet. You're like, no. No, I can sing the songs and I can pray the prayers, but I'm not giving up that part of my life. Not giving it over to God. 
You just said thanks, but no thanks. And you walked away. Maybe God brought you right up to that point where it's like, are you going to give your life over? And you turned the wrong way and wandered. Maybe not physically yet, but spiritually. Or maybe someone saw you wandering and has invited you back to church, and that's why you're here today, or that's why you're listening, because you've come back from wandering. Well, if you're a wanderer, first of all, don't be offended when a brother or sister comes searching for you, because that's our job. God said, go, go get that lost sheep. And secondly, come back, because your soul is in deadly peril every day you spend apart from the saving faith in Jesus. And to the rest of the church, James is speaking mainly to us. If you see someone wander, don't assume they're going to be back unless you're obedient to go after them. So those people that you've been thinking about, you see somebody wandering, go get them. Invite them back into the body of Christ. Invite them back into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Invite them back into the Word of God. Invite them back into the hope of the gospel. Remind them of what they once tasted and that it was good and invite them back. The church is the means God uses for evangelism. And understand this, God is the one who saves. We can't change anybody's heart. And we cannot rescue anybody ourselves. It is God who does it. But here's the amazing thing that verse after verse after verse of the New Testament tells us is that even though God is the one who does it, he's chosen to do it through us. We are the ones who are to preach the gospel. We are the ones who are to go and rescue the lost. Because we are the body of Jesus on earth, and Jesus goes after the lost sheep. And if Jesus goes after the lost sheep, then we go after the lost sheep. So James's final appeal to the church then at the end of this letter is, some are going to wander, and you're going to see them wander. And they wandered because they were never truly part of you. But that's a blessing, because now you know you can go after them, and you can rescue them. And James wouldn't write it unless it was possible. No one is beyond the hope of the gospel until that final day. And it's that final day that James has in mind. So go, church. Go and rescue the wandering. Bring those wanderers home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's a sobering conclusion to James. Not that we're surprised this letter has been poignant from the beginning. But the final appeal is to us, as it's been through the whole five chapters. <laughs> church, if you're working as intended, if you're the church that God planned you to be, then you will go after the wanderers and you will rescue them. And you will renew them to the love of God and renew them to the joy that they can have in Christ. Father, we just pray that we would have these hearts. It can be really comfortable coming here and singing and being among brothers and sisters, and it's just so good to be here and fellowship together. But don't let us ever forget the sheep that have wandered. We love the sheep that are here, but your heart is for the sheep that are out there. So send us, Lord, after those lost sheep. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.